Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. You have your Bibles. Let's go to Exodus chapter 16. We're going to talk about the Lord giving manna. And I'll review some of the general lessons that are in this chapter, but then I want to focus on a specific thing. I want to get down to the, to the, the, the application to us today. Obviously, you and I don't go out on our front lawn and look for bread, unless you've been feeding the squirrels. Um, we, uh, we don't do that. And yet, there's a prince, there are principles in this passage, that are powerfully for today. In fact, Jesus intends us to see the principles in this passage, I believe. I'll explain that to you in a minute. Using manna, the Lord taught Israel to depend on him daily and commune with him once a week. You'll see these lessons taught uh, as we get into it. We no longer get up in the morning to go out looking for manna on the ground, but the spiritual principles modeled in this event should still guide us in our walk with God. In fact, I believe Jesus deliberately drew our attention to the manna when he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. This, if you say, what is daily bread? Well, the manna, that's what's daily bread. There's your, there's your illustration of it. There's your example of what he meant right there in front of us. He wanted his followers to learn to depend on God daily, just like Israel did. Today, we'll look at these simple concepts and try to understand why we as Christians need daily bread as much as those in the Exodus. Now, Exodus chapter 16. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to open the word, to anoint the word, to make it live in our hearts. We would be true disciples of yours. We cannot understand without your revelation. I cannot deliver it without your grace. Come now. In your name we pray. Amen. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. And I told you that doesn't mean place where they did bad things. It meant something like the wilderness of clay, if I recall, in Hebrew. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand. In other words, we wish we'd died with the Egyptians in all those plagues. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, uh, they had a marvelous time being slaves, as they recall. Uh, for, yeah, isn't it funny how you forget stuff? When, you, when we ate bread to the full, you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my instruction. And it will come about on the sixth day that when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses now begins to talk to them and say, you're going to, you've been grumbling, that's not a good thing, um, but you're going to get meat and bread, you'll see. The Lord will prove himself. And then verse 13 so it came about at evening that the quail, that's the meat, came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, 
Behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, Manha, what is it? Which is literal translation of the Hebrew. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer. I think an omer is about a mixing bowl. It's two quarts. And so I'll bet they had mixing bowls and they were to go out and take their mixing bowls and, or, their, or certain size baskets or something and they would gather it according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so and some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it with an omer, I think what they all did is they would go out and collect this stuff, young and old, and then they would dump it into a common, common baskets, which I think the basket was the ephah. The last verse in this chapter says that an omer is a tenth of an ephah. So about every ten ones of these omers, this is important stuff, uh, <laughs> you would fill up an ephah. Isn't that helpful? And um, then watch what happens here. It says, uh, when they measured it with an omer, he who gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. So what happened is they put it into a common basket, and then everybody would dip out one basket full, one of their small mixing bowl-sized baskets. They would dip in, and each person got one, and there would be just enough for everybody. Though some gathered more than others, some are young and strong, some are old and feeble, or very small and not able to get much. But when they put it all together, there would, be, there would be a basket full or a mixing bowl full for each person. By the way, notice the communal life there. They poured it into a common, a common bin and then drew together out of that. So everyone got some. Reminds you of the book of Acts, uh, where they all cared for one another. There's a family-like thing there. It's another subject I won't deal with, though, today. So it goes on. Um, Moses said to them, verse 19, let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, there's a surprise, and left some part of it until morning. Some did. And it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. So this, you'd wake up in the morning and there'd be this wet, gooey stuff on the ground. And as the sun hit it, it would dry and turn into kind of a, a flake-like crust. And they would break this crust up and put it into baskets. And they would eat it, but if you left it too long, it melted. Mm. Uh, now, when it came about on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, uh, two omers for each one. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, day of rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake. Boil what you will boil. Here on the, on the fifth day, or on the sixth day. And all that is left over to the seventh day, let it be put aside until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered. And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. So God does a miracle. And the manna will not spoil for the seventh day to allow the people to truly rest. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath. Today you'll not find it in the field. God would not provide anything on the seventh day. There's an interesting note, people. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh, the Sabbath, there will be none. And it came about on the seventh day that some people went out to gather, 
Surprise, surprise. But they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments, my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. He does a miracle for you. Remember every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh. So the people rested on the seventh. And then Moses describes what it tastes like. He said, coriander seed. And that doesn't help me. I don't know what coriander seed tastes like. It says it was white and it tasted like wafers with honey. In other places it says it tastes like cakes with oil. So it's pretty good stuff. Though I can commiserate with them, 40 years of anything uh, will get old. I bet they spiced it. I bet they fried it. I bet they said, hey, if you boil it and put it in little balls here and drop it and be deep, you know, you can do this with it. I mean, I'll bet they did everything they know to do with manna. If you go back, there must be recipe books. <laughs> Baked and boiled and fried and... I mean, but, you know, after a while, it's like, please. I, I can't understand their concern. Though God had only intended them to need it for about a year and a half. Uh, they're needing it for 40 years is their fault, uh, not his. Now, let's just review some. Of, I just I want to highlight the points here, but I'm going to focus on really two aspects and apply it to you and me. First of all, he said, it, I'm going to give you a test. You notice there in verse 4, I'm going to test them in this. And we remember what a test is. God traps us into a situation where we have to make a choice. Will we obey him or will we not? Now, God still does this. That's why I bring it out. He tests us. He puts us in situations where we must obey or not obey. And then based on our behavior, based on our choice, God deals with us in certain ways. So some, some of us have situations in our lives that are waiting for us to obey. And we're waiting for God to do something. He's waiting for us to obey. And when we obey, we unlock the thing and it goes forward. Just, just a little mini lesson there. Then he says in uh, verses 19 through 21, as well as verse 4, I want to teach you to depend on me daily. Each day, notice, the bread would appear. But the bread would not last to another day. God wanted them to need him and to come to him for resource day at a time. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. We literally are asking the Lord to care for us on a day-by-day-by-day basis. Now, you know, he could have caused it to just snow manna. And, and you wake up in the morning and you get snow shovels out and you put baskets and baskets full in your tent and, it, and, and live off of it for the next six months. But God doesn't want that. He deliberately did it for a reason. He wouldn't let it rot for a reason. He wanted them to come to him each day. How often? Yeah. And then Jesus tells you and me to pray, give us today our daily bread. We are to come to God somehow in the same way. Each day we're to need him. Each day we're to turn to him. And our manna for today won't last for tomorrow. He, we need fresh bread each day. There's a principle being taught here. Jesus brings our attention to it that is still absolutely true in the Christian life. You and I must have daily bread. We'll talk about what it is in a bit. He talks, uh, I'll just skip on down through. He says, um, verses 7 through 12, when needs arise, pray, don't grumble. Grumbling assumes God's our problem. Prayer assumes he's our solution. 
really reveals our hearts, how we handle things. Verses 13 through 18, he says, I want you to think of yourselves as part of a big family. I explained already how they dumped it into a common bin and everyone got the same amount. There was just like the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. Verses 22 through 30, he talks about the Sabbath. Once a week, the Lord says, I want you to rest and spend time with me. I'll do a miracle, in fact, to make it possible. Uh, I don't know if the miracle was in the double portion that they got, that there was twice as much man on the ground, or they simply gathered twice as much and took two bins, two, two bowls full home. But God did a miracle at least in causing the manna not to spoil. It would last. That manna only on that day would not spoil, but would last so that they could rest. He wanted them to spend extended time with him. Let me, let me point this out. When I talk about the Sabbath, some of us go into this mental thing where we've, we say, okay, Sabbath stuff, that's that old Jewish law. And I remember they couldn't walk further than a quarter of a mile on the Sabbath, and they couldn't carry any wood, and they couldn't light a fire. And isn't that silly? They had all these rules about what they couldn't do on the Sabbath. Yes, all right, let's get that out of our system. Yeah, that was, uh, did you ever wonder why they had all those rules? They were trying to stop people from working. And why did God want them to not work? What was the point of this? Simple idleness? Two things, and I've heard them both just mentioned. One is the Lord wanted us to rest. You and I need rest. Seven days a week does not work. It burns you out, burns out your emotions, burns out your, 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 your health, burns out your creativity, brings disease. And secondly, what did he want us to do in that resting time? He wanted us to focus on him. He wanted extended time with the Lord. Now notice a pattern here. We need daily bread, but once a week we need extended time with God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate on that in just a minute. Daily bread, but we also need extended time with God. Here is a pattern for successful Christian living with God. He's laying out something and explaining how we're wired and how we're made. I mean, he's doing it deliberately. He's moving the bread here and there. He won't let it stay over for a second day. He's tr- Do you see how he's going out of his way to teach something? He's building patterns into his people's lives. He says, I'm not going to let you hoard this stuff in the back room. You're going to come to me and meet my miracle every day. Got it? You know, it'll get worms and stink. Ooh. I have enough biology to, I've already thought through how it got the worms. Anyway. And then he says, I'm going to do a miracle and there'll be none on the ground on the seventh day. See, it's not like he just says, just don't go out on the seventh day. There is none on the seventh day. This is God making a point. He's forcing them, as it were, into a pattern of obedience with him. Verses 31 through 34, which I didn't read, he says, take, take an omer full and save it and keep it before the Lord. In other words, let the future generations know what I've done for you. Tell your children. Tell your children what I've done. Never forget what I've done. And then finally, the last verse of the chapter, which I didn't read either, the sons of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. But when they came into the land, the day they took their first gathering of the land, the manna stopped. He is faithful. Over a long period of time, some of you say, will the Lord be faithful? I know he may be for tomorrow and the next day, but will he do it for 40 years? 
His mercies are new every morning. And those of us that have walked with the Lord for a long time, I think one of the most amazing things to me is that his faithfulness never ceases. It is new every morning. After I've been a Christian now for 40 some years, and his faithfulness, I can say, is new every morning. One of the old songs I like is, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. You will find it's not a kick. It's not an adrenaline high. It's not some little shtick that somebody talks you into. If you start walking with God, he will be faithful to you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, even when you don't figure he ought to be anymore. When you're sick of yourself, he's not. He's amazing. He's amazing. I looked at that passage in Matthew 28 where he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Literally, and, and I don't know why they even don't even just translate it out. He says, Lo, I am with you all the days to the completion of the age. All the days, every day, I'm with you. It's lovely. All right, now, let's look at, let's apply this to ourselves. There's a whole lot of lessons there. I just wanted you to have a sense of that chapter. But now I want to apply it. The Lord is teaching us what we need. He says, once a day, I want you to have daily bread. Well, what is that for us? For us as Christians, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's really our daily bread. It isn't simply that he provides financially for us. It isn't simply that he protects us. I mean, all of those things are part of it. But really what we get is the presence of the Spirit of God, a fresh. Now, he lives within us, but we get a fresh anointing, as it were, a fresh blessing of the presence of God. And you and I need it how often? Yeah, we need it daily. We need it daily. And that's, that's the point of this. We need our daily bread. And when we have the Spirit of the Lord upon us, we're aware of it, then we are a different person and our day is different and our choices are different and our protection is different and our guidance is different. Everything's changed by that one fact. We need our daily bread. And Jesus says when he, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, he says, you'll have within you rivers of living water. You know you can't drink a, a river dry. In other words, you've got so much resource within you when he puts the Spirit in us. We'll never... We'll never drain it. We'll never run out of resource. But we must take a drink a day. There's more. And then once a week, we need to have something more than just a drink. Once a week, we need more than simply what the daily bread represents. We need true, personal fellowship with God. Now you say, well, don't we need it all week long? Well, sure we do. But the way life seems to work the demands on us, it's hard to have extended time with God. But that's what he's talking about. He says, I'm going to do a miracle so that you can have extended time with me. That's really the point of it. I want you to rest and I want you to be with me. And I don't want you running all over town. So we sit there and we make fun of the Jewish laws on the Sabbath. And I grant you, they put it into a situation where they were earning their way to heaven by it or whatever. And that's not right. But we discard all of those laws, and so we get in the car on our Sabbath, and we drive to Walmart. And then we come home, and we do the laundry. And then we mow the lawn. And then we do what else? And then we do what else? And then we get on the phone, and we do this. No, I forgot I got to call in on this. And then, we do, and, and then we get nervous and tired. We lose vision. We lose purpose. We don't know why we're alive anymore. We get depressed. We have no answers. Our marriages get stressed. Our job isn't going well. We have no answers. We say, where's God? 
He's waiting for you. <laughs> Wants to talk. Do you get it? I really believe it's the peace that's missing in so many lives. You don't have guidance. You don't have purpose. There's the depression that hits you. There's this, there's this fears and worries and stuff that hit all of us. You're not some weakling because you feel that. Life is like that. If you can't figure out the problems in the world, you're, you're, you're not bright. Some of you are depressed because you're sensitive. You're just in touch with how awful things are. But there's someone who knows the answer. There's someone who has a key to the lock. There's someone who can do a miracle. There's someone who can show you why you're alive. There's someone who can give you a purpose. There's someone who can tell you what to do with your, in the marriage or with your children. There's someone who knows, and he wants to talk. But we can't hear him in the busyness of life. That's the purpose. And that's why he says, here it is, daily bread, but once a week. I want a day off, and I want you with me. I need us to talk. What I found that to be is at least, I usually take most, if I can, I'll, take, I'll, I'll rest the whole day. But I will take three, well, three, no, I take four or five hours. I don't want to scare you, but I take four or five hours at least, sometimes more than that, because I get on a roll. And just, I sit with the Lord. For me, a Sabbath is not sitting there in some kind of, you know, picture-like uh, position, you know, where... You know, you get the, the right hand position and I'm, I, I'm sort of in this, this, this monologue with God about all the things I should be praying. I just do not do well at that. I can go through, I've got my lists and I can pray through some things. But what it means to me is sitting with him. Sitting with him. I take my notebook out. I get a cup of tea. I like that. I get my Bible. Sometimes I'm real stressed and I just need to write all my worries down in my prayer journal. That's the first thing I need to, to dump. I just need to get it off my chest. And then I, then I pray over those and then I, I read some scripture and sometimes I'm still not through and I, I'll get a little devotional thing or something and I'll read that. Maybe I'll worship. Maybe I'll get my guitar and sing a bit. Whatever it takes. See? I just sit with him. It's him and me. That's the point. It's, it's this much time with God. It isn't a matter of got to say these right things and got to do these right things. Just sit with him. And one way or another, he breaks through. Virtually every time, the Lord will come. The longer I'll spend, sometimes I really need a breakthrough and I need to take a good, honest thing or I can go somewhere and take a day off. But that's a whole other subject where I sit and do nothing but press through. But do you know that when I hear from him, he gives me guidance on the next step I need. Sometimes he talks about stuff I'm not even asking about. <laughs> that he knows I need. He talks to me about attitudes. He rebuilds my faith. When I come out of the thing, it's like, okay, we can do this. I have hope again. I have strength again. I got the energy to live. That's where we find it, is from him. And, and if we don't have that, we're just on a, on a slow decline. And so the Lord says, I want you to have two things. I want you to have daily bread, and I want you to have once a week fellowship with me. Why do we need it? Now I'm going to go into some internal discussion. I'm going I'm I'm to look inside us, 
and try to describe why I think it is this really has to be. When I become a true Christian, my spirit, the essential me, is totally changed. Remember this, you don't have a spirit, you are a spirit. I'm talking to your spirit right now. talking to you. The spirit is the you that goes on when your body dies. When your body dies, you continue. Conscious you is there. That's your spirit. That's you. But you also have a body, this meat we live in, and through which our spirit interacts with the world. Just like my eyes see through my glasses, as though this was my body and I'm my spirit. I see through, I interact with the world through my glasses. My spirit interacts with the world through my, through my body, using the physical brain that I've been given, which my spirit, when I receive Christ, when I really become born again, my spirit becomes brand new. I am a new creation. The essential me is totally changed. My will, my emotions, my, my, my uh, intellect, all of it is dramatically changed. Now, I love God, I want to serve him, and I love the things that he loves. That's my nature. And yet I'm trapped in a, in a body that isn't saved. My body isn't housed about yours. My body isn't saved, and it still has emotions and tempers and stuff that goes swirling through it. Romans chapter 7 describes the predicament. I won't take you there, but I'll take you to Romans 8 in just a bit. And Paul in there says, I am I'm stuck where I want to do one thing, but my body wants to do, and the sin that's within me wants to go another way. Now, you need to know the truth I'm telling you right now, because otherwise you get real frustrated with yourself. And you think, where do these temptations and fears and thoughts come from? Do you have crazy thoughts go through your brain? I mean, just stuff that you wouldn't dare tell anybody. And you think, I must be insane. This old brain of ours has got junk in it, but I must add, there's another player on the field. There is a devil. There's a demonic realm. Now, I'm not trying to be spooky, but for heaven's sakes, you need to know it's there. And that the temptations and many of the strange thoughts that go through your brain are, are assaults. It's not some indication that you're not a mature Christian. Jesus had this. What do you think what the Garden of Gethsemane was? What was going on there? What was going on out in the wilderness? For, for 40 days, he was assaulted with temptation. Do you think we're going to miss that party? I think the most serious aspect of Christian persecution is not that we get lined up and shot. It's what we deal with in the assaults of the enemy on our mind constantly. The fiery darts of the wicked one, Paul calls it. Now, my spirit, my sweet, born-again, God-loving spirit and yours, lives in this body with this brain. And I just define that as opposed to my mind. And is having to deal with this stuff. I had one Christian years ago say to me, I've, I've seen, heard this a lot, but it was, this was really distinct. She had been a Christian forever. And she was an older gal, and she just said, I can't believe I still have this thoughts and stuff in me that I do after, like, must have been 50, 60 years of being a Christian. I don't know what's wrong with me. But there's nothing wrong with you. This is what, this is, 
this is the situation. Now, will it ever change? Yes, it will. At death. <laughs> and at the resurrection. Whichever comes first. And the rapture is the resurrection coming first. Now, at the resurrection, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 15, that we have a spiritual body. Now, that doesn't mean you can see through each other. It means, it means that this new body we get is submitted to the Holy Spirit. It will not be rebellious. There will not be this crazy stuff. This body will be completely in harmony with the things of God and with your spirit. Won't that be lovely? What a relief. But while we're now in this situation, we've got this tension that we live with. Now, I become a person who loves God, wills to serve him, and can understand spiritual truth. However, I live in a body which is trans is, isn't transformed and have a brain which still thinks in old ways. When empowered by the Holy Spirit, my spirit can control my thoughts and the actions of my body. Your spirit can rule your body and your thoughts. Now, I'm going to show you how. Romans chapter 8. This is one of the most important chapters, just period, in the Bible. There's just nothing, uh, a few things as powerful as Romans 8. Romans 7, Paul describes this predicament we're in. He says, I see a different law in my, the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. This, he literally says sin, this rebellious uh, stuff is in the flesh of our bodies. Wretched men that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he gives us the answer in Romans 8. Romans 8 is the answer to Romans 7. All right, now here's how he does it. Verse 5. He says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of what? The flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, as it were, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is? All right. So the mind's the key. And you're, you have control over that. You have control over that. I'm going to show you how. That's the key. That's the trigger. That's the, that's the thing that when you deal with the mind, you can walk in the spirit. If you, if you mishandle it, you walk in the flesh. Years ago, one of our pastors, he's, he's gone on to work in Washington, D.C., Mark Walker, was teaching um, the difference between men and women. And uh, he was trying to explain to women at the time, if I recall, why it is we men um, seem so rude. Uh, <laughs> And preach it, brother, yes. <laughs> and he, he, said, he said, you need to understand that we men can only really focus on one thing at a time. And he did this gesture. And he said, so when we're watching television and someone comes to talk to us, we can sort of sense there's a voice out there. <laughs> I, I sense a voice somewhere. And he said, for us to listen to you, it means we have to take and turn our attention and say, where are you? I can hear a voice. Oh, there you are. Yes. All right. Thank you. And then we go back and we turn our attention back to what we were watching. 
I mean, this is really serious. As the older I get, it's really true. Women, you just need to understand this. We can do one thing at a time. It's our, and we're good at concentrating. I think God's made us that way to concentrate. That's a good quality, but it's also exclusive. There's physiological reasons for this. The brain is actually different in men and women. Women, on the other hand, can do numerous things at the same time. And so when they talk to us and we're focused on something else, they think that we're being rude, which, of course, we would never be. (laughs) My wife can iron, talk on the telephone, and watch Murder, She Wrote, all at the same time. (laughs) I would be a basket case. I, I really would. I just, like, huh, huh. Oh, no. I mean, I can't do it all. It doesn't work like that. just doesn't work like that. My point isn't men and women, but my point is to say, you're, you have this focus. This gesture was really a good one. And it's, it's like, what am I focused on? Paul says that when I take my mind and I focus it, on the things of the Spirit, what do I have? I have life and I have peace. But when my mind is focused on the flesh, what do I have? And he says, you have control on that. You and I have control. My spirit, my born-again inner person, I have control. I can take my mind and I can direct it. I can direct it either to give attention, focused attention to God, to his word, Or I can take my mind and I can put it on. Actually, I don't think I even have to take it. It just naturally, my mind sort of goes automatically back to to the flesh. And then I have to go lift it up to the spirit and then uh, the flesh like that. It's, It's effortless to go to the flesh. I wake up in the morning in the flesh. Do you? I mean, once in a while I'm cheery, but not often. Most of it I wake up and it's like, oh boy, what have I got to do today and what hurts? You know. I'm at an age where something hurts every day. So, here's that key. Here's a key he's telling us. He's saying, I'm going to tell you how to have victory and how to live not according to those powers of the body or of your brain and the old soulish thoughts that are are part of the old nature that have been programmed into our brains. Because we got stuff and thoughts programmed into our brains God didn't put there. Would you agree? Yeah, in fact, Romans 12, 1 is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind has got a whole lot of work to be done in it. And so he says, here's the key. Focus. Now, let's look at it again. He says, he describes this in Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see this. Galatians 5, verse 16. And he would use the phrase walking in the spirit as a way of saying a person who learns to regularly put their mind on the spirit makes it a pattern. See, walking is a repeated pattern over, over, over. He says a person who learns to regularly put their mind on the spirit Spirit is walking by the Spirit. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, verse 16, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now here he describes the tension, the struggle that we face. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. Can you say amen? And the Spirit against the flesh. This is Romans 7. The good, my, my, my mind, my heart, my inner being wants to do one thing. I've got this other force within me wanting to do another 
so that you may not do the things that you please. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's another point altogether. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. When I focus on the flesh, when I'm focused there, here's the kind of stuff that it produces. It produces sexual things. It produces idolatry, where I begin to worship stuff other than God. Sorcery, which has to do with drugs. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, relational problems all over the place. When I'm in the flesh, I am grumpy and critical, uh, believe it or not. Don't say amen, dear. <laughs> Envying, drunkenness, carousing, we turn to sensuality, we turn to, to, to partying. And things like these, of which I warn you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says it's a very dangerous thing to let your mind just lock in on that and stay there. But the fruit of the Spirit, when I focus my mind on the Spirit, I'm drawing from Him, this is what happens in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. You simply, the Holy Spirit is the law within you causing you to be and fulfill all the things God wants from you. Now, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions, made a profound decision not to live according to the flesh and the old ways, but to die with Christ and to live for him. Right? Anybody in here not made that decision? See, that's the simple decision. That's what baptism represents. I die with Christ. I'm his now. I don't live in the old anymore. So he says, if we've made that decision, verse 25, let's live by the Spirit. Let's focus on him and draw his power. Let him do this miracle in us. And let us walk by the Spirit regularly doing it, not just sporadically and occasionally. I want to touch on something. People ask the question, can Christians have a demon? If you mean living inside us, absolutely not. There's no room. Absolutely not. But you and I can habitually fall into the pattern of listening to particular voices. And I'll bet you you have a voice or two that just nags you and hounds you. That when you're tired, when you're weary, when something happens to you, this is the voice where you're really vulnerable. This is the one. Is it shame? Is it anger? Is it fear? Is it, is, it, is it a lustful thing? or a, what, what, what do you do when, when, you're, when you're growing hard and you'll hear this little voice and it just pulls you over and you find yourself almost hypnotized by it, almost mesmerized by this voice that keeps coming and you find yourself just locking in and following it. That's how we come under the influence of demonic forces. We listen to them. It's like dialing in a radio. We listen and the more we listen to it, we start believing it, and it starts affecting our thinking, and it starts affecting our behavior, and we follow the influence of this thing. You don't, you aren't, you, you as a Christian can't possibly have one live in you. It didn't come out of you. But what's happening is the Lord is saying, stop listening to that thing. Stop turning to that influence. You can, listen to me, you can take your mind, because you are a born-again man or woman, you can take your mind and you can turn it away from that thing. Some people come and they want to have deliverance, and I believe in, we minister deliverance here, I, it's important. 
However, however, demons are like garbage flies. They come right on back. And I made this comment to somebody the other day. I said, you know, I can't brush the flies off your food forever. Thank you. You understand what I'm saying? You, you can't do for somebody else. I can't, you can't constantly come over here, you know, brushing the, the trouble off and, and get away, get away, get away. There's a point where each one of us has to, for ourselves, say, in the name of Jesus, and turn away from that voice and learn to do this. And this is where our victory comes, is in, not in somehow, you don't, you don't sort of manage this thing. You don't conquer it with your will. You take your mind and you just deprive it. You just snip, you, like, a, like a remote. You just turn it off and turn your mind positively onto the Word of God. The written Word, the spoken Word, you turn it onto Him. And you can do this. Practice. Try it. I'm, I'm, I, I've done this for years. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. i got no more self-discipline than anybody else probably. I can do this. You can do this. You can take your mind and just deprive it of that thing. The temptations, the thoughts, the issues, you can just say no and put it on the things of the Lord. Back to the original point. Once a day, you and I need to take our minds and start the day with them focused on the Spirit of God. I was real busy the other day, a while back, and, and I said, Lord, I just don't have time today. And he said this, he said, give me five. He really did. I'm not making this up. And I, I, I thought he meant, you know. <laughs> and that's not what he meant at all. He said, give me five. Five minutes. Just give me five minutes. He said, I can do that. And so I, I just opened. I began to read. I wrote down. I opened my thing. I said, I got five minutes. And I began to just do it. You'd be amazed at the change in me in five minutes. I was amazed. I thought, whoa, you can do that in five minutes? See, folks, if we start our day in the flesh, we're in trouble the whole rest of the day trying to handle our life in the flesh. Each day, there should be time where we start our day. He says, go out and gather in the morning your daily bread. And then once a week, we need time where we sit with him long enough to be able to bring our needs to him and listen to him and sense his guidance and direction and purpose afresh for our lives. That vision doesn't last. I need to hear God's vision for me over and over again. I need his purpose for me over and over again. I need his love for me over and over again because the world drains it out of me. And he says, if you will, if you'll give me this time, I'll make you ride on the heights. Imagine if you knew what to do about your marriage. Imagine if you knew what to do for your children. Imagine if you knew exactly, I mean, the right thing to do for your finances. Imagine if you knew what you were supposed to do at work. You have someone who'll tell you. And he wants to sit with us. And he says, if you'll let me, I'll give you such wisdom that that, that lost day of work will be like a double, you'll have a double portion. And you will be more effective in the time you have left. Better answers, better solution, more accomplished, more prosperity than if you worked. It is vain for us to stay up late and to rise early. It is vain for us to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved 
the blessing of God even in his sleep. Would you stand with me? There's two things that the Lord was challenging Israel to do. One, to trust him and seek his bread each day. Who today needs to say to the Lord, if nothing else, I can give you five. I could do this. I could do this. And I need to make a decision and I need to start a fresh pattern in my life that I will take my mind and I'm going to put it on you. However that is. I'm not defining some little routine or some little, little rote deal you've got to recite. I'm just telling you, would you just turn your mind to him? That's all. However you want to do it. But you'll give him five. At least. Some of you can give him more. It's better more. But at least you'd give him five. Who says, I'm going to make that pledged? Now put your hands down. I've got another question. I'm going to put this on a limited basis because I I think that this is a new thing for the American culture. But who would give the Lord three, four, five hours once a week for the next four weeks? I mean, you would really find the time to do that. And And I don't want you to raise your hands to be nice to me. I mean, this is a solemn thing. And so if you're not going to do it, if you don't think you might do it, then don't put your hand up. But if you're really willing to say, I'll test run this thing. If you tell me that God can give me that kind of guidance and grace, if I'll, if I'll give him the time, then, then I'll, I'll, I really will try it. And I want, what I'm hoping to have you do is if I can get you to do it four weeks in a row, I'll bet I can get you hooked. So I'll just be real honest with you. I'm trying to trap you. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to try something and step into a zone. Now, by the way, some of you say, I don't have that, but you know, you could take church and allow this to be the first hour and 45 minutes of your time, and where we help you get in the spirit, as it were. You could go out and just sit someplace right after church for an hour or two, and I'll bet you you'd have been pretty far down the line. But somewhere where you can talk to him, and he can talk to you. But you would do it for four weeks in a row, and give, it a, give that a real test, and see if he will not make you right on the heights. If there won't come a blessing, if there won't come a new sense of direction in your life, How many would say, I will try that. I will really do that. I'll commit to it. So raise your hand if that's you. Just keep your hand up. Father, we believe your word. We believe it's true. We believe it's right right from heaven. And even as you asked Israel to have daily bread, you also asked them to every sixth day to just, you give a double portion. You do a miracle so they could rest on the seventh and spend time with you. That was the point. Now, you would bless them beyond, beyond understanding if they would come to the source of life and the source of wisdom and let you counsel us and direct us and heal us. And so, Lord, we're going to put that pattern in our life, not as a legalism, but as an understanding. We're going to build that into our life. At least, Lord, the next four weeks, we're going to take time and spend serious time with you, letting you counsel us and comfort us. And I thank you, Lord, for already, before I see it, for what you'll do in each each of our lives as we sit before you in these times. Teach us, teach us to have a true Sabbath with you. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for all you've done. We thank you for the practical nature of our faith, how real it is, and how you transform our lives. We bless you for it. You are a living God and a good God, and your word truly is bread to us. Thank you for feeding us. In Jesus' powerful name we pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, 
just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.